what are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I could do this all day. The Matt Sodnikar Podcast. Want to hear this <laughs> sipping and silence? Tapping on microphones. <laughs> so awesome. Uh, so welcome to the podcast. I'm your host Matt Sodnikar, and with me is uh, new friend Shivani Desai, actor, comedian, writer, and welcome to the studio. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Sure. So tell me about your uh, improvisational comedic journey. How did that all start for you? Well, I um, I started back in Detroit um, about seven years ago now, and the journey really, I mean, it really started when I was little. I mean, I just loved to act and perform um, ever since I could remember, um, but specifically to improv, it was, um, yeah, I just, I just, I figured out that all the actors and um, people I admired as far as their performances go had started in an improv. So like, um, <clears throat> I think it was like Kristen Wiig, or Tina Fey, or, you know, all those people that I really looked up to. I would read any book that came out about them if they wrote it themselves or about <laughs> them. And so often I found that like, oh, they started in improv. So I did a little research and we used to have um, a second city in Detroit, which I went to one time for a show for like a friend's birthday. And I... Um, I still was interested in acting at that point, but I was kind of like, oh, I could never do that. You know, I would just kind of be like, if I were to act, I'd want it to be scripted and I want to do what they do on Saturday Night Live, which is scripted versus, you know, any kind of improv. But so, yeah, once I learned like that was the path for a lot of people I admired, I um, I looked up a theater um, in Ferndale, Michigan, so just on the outskirts of Detroit, called Go Comedy. And um, as it happened, like they were starting a session for, you know, their next improv um, set of improv classes. And I signed up and literally that first class, I fell in love. Like I remember having the thought like during the class, like, okay, this is it like this. I can do this. Like this is like playing like when you're a kid and you're playing Mm -hmm. and you're making up stories. And and it was fantastic. And I I was really fortunate to have um, uh, her name's Nancy Hayden uh, as my first improv teacher, and she she is um, legit. Like she she taught at Second City Detroit. She was the creative director there, I believe, um, and now she's out in Second City Hollywood. I mean, she came up with all the great Detroit improvisers um, like Keegan Michael Key, Mark Evan Jackson. Oh, okay. um, so a lot of a lot of good names: um, Sam Richardson, Tim Robinson, who now have a show on Comedy Central. So like, yeah, it's just. Um, I was so fortunate to have her as like my intro teacher, you know, and um, yeah, it just kind of snowballed from there. I, as soon as I, like that first class, as soon as um, I got in there, I was kind of like, or I got a taste of it and I just didn't want to stop. I just, I went through the whole program. I did have a kid in the middle of it. So I had to go on like (laughs) an improv maternity leave, which was so hard. I was like, because you kind of come up with the same people, right? Like the people in your intro class, like are then in your um, intro to class are the same, you know, so people tend to drop off, but like there's a core group that you kind of go through the program with together. And I had to, I just couldn't help it. You know, I had a newborn and I, I mean, I, I performed, I think, 
or I went to class up until the week before I had my son. So like I was like there for it, you know, like I was like, I'm going to be. And I remember Did having. You ever, were you ever on stage uh, performing pregnant? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. In fact, a lot of people who first saw, I mean, it was funny when I would, I started performing at the theater more often. They'd be like, I remember first seeing you like when you were in, like at your class shows, like, and you had the, you know, you were pregnant. I'm like, yeah, it, it's so funny. I was pregnant actually during that intro one class, but I didn't know it at that time. But I found out in intro two, oh, I'm pregnant. But anyway, um, so yeah, and it was so funny that maternity leave from improv was so hard. And like, I still remember having this like little newborn boy and I was so, of course I was so like, you know, over the moon about my son, but like I knew the date of that class show that I was missing and I was just like heartbroken about it. And my husband was just like, just go, you know, we'll figure it out. And I'm like, I'm, I, he's like, he's like three weeks old. There's no way I can do that. Like there's, you know, like so sweet of my husband to like try, but I'm, you know, but anyway, so once I was kind of back on my feet and we were able to, um, finagle sitters and whatnot. But um, I came back and I finished the program. And um, yeah, I mean, I would go on any audition I could as far as like I wanted my, my goal for that theater was to be the um, what they call the resident company, which is like their main stage cast. And um, yeah, I mean, I auditioned for sketch shows and I ended up getting um, a couple of those. And then I just wanted to be as involved in the theaters I could because to my surprise, I was actually involved. I was actually um like really drawn to like directing as well and writing and stuff like that. So like I, it just opened this whole new world of creativity for me, which I needed. Like I, I needed a creative outlet because I was in this corporate, you know, environment for so long. And what'd you do? I, um, so for 12 years I was in, <laughs> it's super sexy. It's, um, uh, merchandise planning and inventory management. So basically for like retailers, I was the person making decisions about, how much of this product do we need to not have too much, but not have too little to like the optimum, you know, inventory yeah. levels to sell and stuff like that. So I worked for um, a music company and I worked for Moose Drum Mountaineering. I oh, worked for yeah, Carhartt. So, yeah. So but it, it, in all in that capacity. So it was like very numbers driven. It was very like, you know, forecasting and spreadsheets and Microsoft Excel and all that good stuff. So are you a detail person naturally? Did that? Did managing that come natural to you? Or um, it- you know, it's funny. I like sort of just fell into it. I um, I majored in political science of all things at Michigan State University. Um, and the only thing I can say about that is I think I did that because it was it was like political science pre law, and I had a kind of an inkling to maybe go to law school just because. Um, my whole life, my dad always told me I love to argue, <laughs> which I did <laughs> mostly with him, um, but. Uh, but like early in the program, I kind of knew I'm like, hey, this isn't me, you know, and it was just one of those things. I was so immature when I went to college. I like I still to this day think like I should have never gone away to school. Like I was just not there mentally, you know, and I just I had fun, but like I was not focused in that in that field. But anyway, I ended up getting through it. Um, didn't, you know, apply to law school. I didn't want to do that. I said, let me just see where I fall into the, you know, if I can get a job or whatever. And so it was. I ended up getting a job with a music company, kind of like an entry level job and just worked my way up there. And I fell into this um, this role. And I mean, I guess I do enjoy like I know people hate Excel and stuff, but like I was like kind of a nerd with that stuff. Like I didn't mind it. Like I loved learning about how to, um, you know, 
create forecasts and stuff like that. So I, I did, I did put my, you know, I wanted to do a good job in there and I, and I just thought, you know, this is what I should be doing. Like I, you know, I went to college, I should get a job and, you know, I should make a career and, and whatnot all the time, all the while, like su- suppressing what I really, really love to do and my passion with like being creative and performing and acting and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I did that. I didn't love it. I mean, honestly, the the more I did it, I just was like, it, it, it's a guessing game when you're forecasting, right? So like a lot of times, <laughs> yeah, totally. it's also the job <coughs> at the office where, you know, you're constantly getting challenged with your, with your numbers. And it was, I just didn't have it. Like I, I would look at other people in my department, like my managers and stuff like that. And, and they were like, so into it, you know, and I'd just be like, I don't know. I mean, I think we'll sell like 40,000, but maybe not. Like, I mean, I just like, you know, and I remember a manager telling me like, you know, you have to really like stand by, like you have to make your case and stand by it. And, and I was just kind of like, God, I just don't care that, that much about it. It was just the opposite of how you should have felt, I guess. But, um, so yeah, I mean, as, as life went on and I, you know, I had my kids and, you know, I was putting them in daycare and, and going to these jobs that like, I just didn't love. And I, I wasn't passionate about, um, and then it was after I had my daughter, uh, she was like about a year, not quite two years old, like a year and a half when I started improv. And it really was, I had this driving, um, I had this motivation to at least show her and whatever kids I'd have in the future, like show her, like, at least I went for it. You know, that was my, that was really my motivating factor. I would like look at her and be like, I don't want to show her that I'm just going to a job just to go to a job. Like I want to show her, I can't, I won't be able to tell her like, yeah, mommy loves inventory forecasting, you know? Um, I wanted her to at least see, like I went for the actual thing I've wanted to, I've wanted my whole life. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I mean, because I, I was also driven by fear. I mean, I always thought about it, always was trying to figure out how to get myself into that creative field without, you know, letting go of that security of having a job. Like, it was always a struggle I would have internally. And um, I I don't know. I think after I had her, I was like, I can't let this fear, got, you know, just have a hold of me anymore. I, I, I What's the worst that's going to happen? You know what I mean? I can, I can just go for it. And I'm not saying now, like, I'm going to be on SNL or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be the next Mindy Kaling or something and have my own show. I'd love it. But I mean, that's... Well, why not you? Well, exactly. Exactly. You know, um, but I want her to see like, oh, you know, this was really what my mom loved and she tr- she worked hard at it and she really, you know, did the best she could with the talent she was given kind of thing. So, and not to be ashamed of that talent because I, a lot, not that I was ashamed of it, but I, I always kept it kind of hidden because it wasn't like a practical talent. You know what I mean? Like growing up as an Indian American child of immigrants, like I was surrounded by these kids who excelled so much in school. Like, you know, whenever you heard about the top, you know, kid in math or calculus or, you know, these, these top, these overachieving kids, it was like these Indian kids all the time. And and even in our, in our community, I mean, obviously we had this tight knit Indian community in, in Detroit <clears throat> with the automotive and stuff like there were so many engineers that came to Detroit area. And my my dad was in finance, but he ended up settling here because a lot of his friends did. And um, yeah, it was it was interesting because I mean, I, I know my parents saw in me my my affinity towards acting and performing. 
and they loved it, but they were just kind of like, well, that's fine for hobby, you know, mm-hmm. but that's not going to be what you're going to do, you know, and that was just never, it was never like um, a thought, you know, there was like, no, you need to go study and get a practical job and, you know, all this stuff. So, I mean, I was, sur- and I was surrounded by these kids who I just, they were like, crazy smart and and I'm not saying I'm not smart but I was not like an academic like a lot of the kids I would see you know um and I always felt like bad about that and I always felt like because I never really nurtured the performer performer side into something where I could be like no I'm I'm I remember thinking like what if I just changed my major when I was when I was at Michigan State and I'd just like be doing my political science stuff and I'm like I just don't like this you know I looked into like the theater program and what it would take and what, you know, how much longer it would take me to, you know, finish school. And, but I just couldn't do it. Like I could not have that conversation because I could, just, I just could see where it would go, you know? And I was like, ah, you know, I, I just didn't, I just didn't have the courage to do it. And I just was like, nope, take, take the safe path, like take the path that they want me to take. And I should take, like, I was just like that should thing, like I should do this. And I, I should, um, you know, acting is never going to be what I do kind of thing. So, um, yeah, it was just kind of that environmental thing. Uh, people in my environment was it was these examples of really smart kids who were getting like full ride scholarships to schools and, and um, excelled at everything academic. And, and I just felt so different. But I felt bad about feeling different, I guess, is how I can put it. I, sure. Yeah, it was just... One of those things. But yeah, I mean, I, like I said, like after I had my daughter and, you know, as you get older, you just start caring less about what people think about you. <laughs> you know, you just totally. you just are totally. like, you know what, this is my life. Um, and I was, you know, and and it's tough. I mean, it's like after especially if you're after you have kids to make time for all these things. And um, but yeah, I mean, I I the, the the time I've spent in improv and doing everything I have in comedy it's like the most fun I've, I've had like doing like working so hard at like this kind of working so hard in this field feels so much more natural to me um, versus like my, you know, merchandise planning job or getting a political science, you know, degree. Like it was just those things were, oh God, it was like trudging uphill, you know, um, and like, waste deep snow versus like this it's like oh like I just relish like working super hard at this kind of stuff like writing a script or working on my improv or um you know getting together and writing a sketch show with people like that 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 stuff like feeds me um and yeah so it's like doesn't pay the bills but like no regrets at all you know (laughs) pays the emotional bills I heard someone say that one time and I loved it oh I like that (laughs) yeah yeah I like that a lot that's really cool there's a, a book called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield, and mm-hmm. he talks about how whatever, and he's big into Greek mythology, and he says, whatever the gods have like lightning bolted you with, whatever yeah. your talent is, whether it's spreadsheets or acting or painting, you have to take that as far as you can because yeah. you're wasting the gift. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and it's like a weird... Um, <clears throat> I don't know if it like a taboo is right. It was, it was this, like, I would feel like I was bragging if I was like, Hey, I'm really good at like mimicking people or I'm really, I really love to act in front. I love, I love to be in front of a crowd and like act like I, 
I would like feel like oh, people think I'm like just bragging about myself, you know, and, and for so long I did that, like all through my 20s and even in my 20s, like I did little I made little steps here and there. Like I um, actually did get professional headshots taken and I, you know, I was like an extra and some like some Hollywood movies did come to Detroit because for a short time there was that um, film incentive where. So like Transformers was filled there, was filmed in Detroit, and so I got to be an extra on that. And <clears throat> so I would take like small steps. Are you on screen? Can we see? I them? am at the very <laughs> the very first Transformers. It was such a cool moment. Um, <clears throat> so the way it is in these like being an extra, you're just like a big part. You know, you're just like this crowd of people that they like corral you to different holding areas, depending on when they need you, they call you out. But most of the time you're just sitting and waiting and they warn you about that. And like the description of being an extra, it's like bring, bring a book, bring stuff like you are going to be sitting and waiting most of the day. Um, and it was, I mean, it was so much fun. Most of it was running and screaming in the streets of Detroit. Um, <laughs> and yeah, Michael Bay, you know, he was the director. And we were warned, the person like who was in charge of the extras warned us like, look, Michael Bay is very intense. Um, just do what he, just make sure you're alert. Like if he points at you and tells you to do something, do it. Like just, um, <clears throat> and he, he can be very short. He can be he can be kind of a, like a jerk at times, like just um, but don't take it personally. Like we've all been yelled at by Michael Bay. So like, you know, so they were like very. So we were all, you know, we were on edge a little bit going like, oh, man. But um, yeah, so it was, it was a two day uh, shoot for the extras. And yeah, like I said, most of it was running and pretending there were big like as he put it. Are we allowed to swear on here? Yes. Okay. Um, as he, uh, Michael Bay said, there are big fucking robots coming after you. So like, we just had to keep imagining that and running and looking terrified. It was so fun. I had the best time. And I was the person like, I would love to just um, watch the process. Like, I, I mean, everything from like these, like the sound guys to the lighting guys. I'm mean, just like seeing how they worked. The stunt guys that were on set, like it was so, it was like, it was so much fun. I had the best time. People who, who were there were like... It was so funny. There were the people who were like these, you know, actory people. And there was these people who were just like, hey, I want to do something fun. I'm not an act, you know, but like I saw this in the paper and I wanted to do yeah. it. <clears throat> I was somewhere in the middle where it was like I wasn't as actory as some of the people, but I was just like I was so interested. Um, but anyway, yes. Yeah, so I it was like the second day of shooting and he, they asked the extras to come out. And Michael Bay's just standing there and we're all standing on the sidewalk and he just starts going, you, you, you. And he and he pointed right at me. He's like, it, it was funny. He like picked like three or four people in the front. And then he looked at me and I was like in the back. He goes, and that lady, you, come with me. And I was like, and we're like oh God. so we go <laughs> and we follow him. And he places these two people here, places another person here. And then he, he, he's like, he's like, all right, you. He's like, I want you to be hugging this lamppost. And when I say three, two, one, on two, you start screaming. And uh, the camera's going to go around you and scream the entire time the camera's coming around the corner. And um, and he's like, and, you know, he kind of softened when he was talking to me. He's like, he's like, do you think you can do that? I was like, yes. And he uh, he was like, yeah, yeah, you can do that. And he was like, actually kind of nice to me. And um, the first time I totally screwed it up. He said, three, two, one, action. And then I started screaming. Uh, come back <clears throat> and this like camera rig is like it's like rigged to like a Porsche of all things and it's like this huge thing with the crane I mean it's because like why not because it's Michael Bay right <laughs> um so he, they come back and he's like uh 
the blue dress, you. And I was like, he's like, remember, scream on two. And I was like, okay. Uh, I was like, that's right. He said that. Like, I was just felt, it was so, like, I, I remember like feeling my heart, like I could feel my heartbeat in my ears. You know, I was so nervous. But anyway, I did it right the second time. I think we did, like might have done it two or three more times. <clears throat> and I just, I mean, I'm, I just screamed as loud as I didn't even know I could scream like that. But when Michael Bay is telling you to scream, you scream. And um, yeah, I am. I am at the very end of the movie. I think I, it's so cheesy, but I think I did have like the timestamp memorized. I forgot it now. But at the very end, there is a very blurry shot of me. Um, it's like. Optimus Prime, you see like Optimus Prime, but then you see the camera go around the corner and it's my scream. And you can actually see, I just got engaged. You can see my engagement ring like around the, yeah, I'm hugging this lamppost. You can barely see my face. I'm more like this, but, um, and my face is a little bit tucked in, but it's my scream and it's totally me. And it's like maybe a second of screen time, but it was so, I mean, we went to see the movie and I didn't know, like every, you know, and, and everything they shot was more at the end. It's like at the climax of the movie. It's at the very end um, with a big chase scene in the streets between whatever the transformer robots. Um, and yeah, the whole time I'm looking, I'm looking and I'd sort of almost forgotten about that scene that I was in, like the the screaming part. And then, yeah, it just it just happened right away. And I was like, I, it, like I went numb. Like it was so fun. It's super, super fun. That's so, cool. yeah, I mean, um, I love that first one. That was a good movie. It was, you know, it wasn't bad. And like, I know people are like, oh, Michael Bay movies. And I'm not I mean, to be honest, like I've I don't know if I really like any. I know like he did like the Bad Boys franchise, which my husband loves. And I was just like <laughs> not into it. But it was so fun. Like, like I think I was bitten by the bug like when I was little, just watching movies and like being in little, you know, production school productions. But that for sure for me was like, oh, my gosh, like just being on a set was so of like a big production like that was so fun. We got to see things blow up. We got to see stunt drivers like it was insane. And it was really, really cool. I didn't get to meet Shia LaBeouf, but he wasn't there. That would have been a thrill. Right. <laughs> um, sorry, I derailed you. So you went, mm. um, so back to improv in Detroit. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it sounds like you had, through reading and through research, you had some idea of what improv actually was. But yeah. was there was there a misconception that when you stepped over from reading about it to doing it or any misconceptions that you had like okay first rehearsal this is what we're doing right that you're like I had no idea that's what this was um totally I mean it was I mean I have to say it was like all new to me because I didn't watch a lot of improv and um I I I remember feeling a little behind because some of the people on the class I was in my very first class were like talking about the shows at go comedy the the theater um, that was you know had the school um, and they were like experts on the shows and what type of shows they were long form versus short form. I mean, I knew none of that. Mm-hmm. Like I knew none of those terms. And when I say like I read books, like, I mean, I read, just read books about the actors doing it. I just, I, there were a lot of details. So it really was all new to me. Um, the misconception, I guess, <clears throat> was, it was, um, I don't know if it's a misconception, but it was one of the best lessons I remember learning was just not trying to be funny. You know, and I think, you know, when you watch it, you're just like, well, that's all they're trying to do is trying to be funny. But no, it's like it's so much more than that. And I, I Nancy Hayden, my my first awesome teacher, she was you know, she said she's like, 
if you try to go for the funny, it never works. I've seen it. I've done it. I've tried to do that. It never works. So just do what comes organically and um, the funny will come. And I thought like, and I've never forgotten that, like that is so true because even now after doing it for so long in so many different forms, I'll, I, every now and then I'll go for that dumb low hanging fruit joke (laughs) or, you know, like, and it's like, I'm not going to go for, you know, and I'll go for the funny and it, it does it. I might get a couple like drunk dudes in the audience, like laugh when I say, you know, dick or something or like, you know, (laughs) something like that. When I, I know what I'm doing and it's like, I'm going to go there. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, as far as that, but also just, I guess guess the biggest misconception was just how incredibly hard and rare it is to find that, that connection with, between, um, uh, players, you know, where it's like, everyone can follow the rules of improv on stage, but it doesn't mean it's going to be a great set. You know what I mean? There's so much more in like a connection that you feel. There's a lot of gray area with, um, like you could technically do it perfectly, like yes and everything and mm-hmm. don't ask a lot of questions and, you know, do object work. Like you can do all of that stuff, but it can still be just kind of like a ho-hum set. Um, so, yeah, like when I would watch, I rem- I still remember that after my taking my first um, few classes, the Detroit Improv Festival happened and... Um, Nancy, my teacher at the time, was like, hey, you know, I'm performing with some people and this is a great festival and you guys should come out if you can. And um, yeah, I was able to like escape for a night, you know, and and go and see a show. And it happened to be it's a troupe called the 313 and it's it's Detroit improvisers who have now moved to L.A. So it was Keegan Michael Key. It was, um, I believe, Tim Robinson, Mary Beth Monroe, like uh mark evan jackson so all these people you'd recognize if you saw my keegan's probably obviously the biggest name now but but all these people have done really well out in la and so they come back and they and they still have this troupe and it's so great like they just have this bond from being you know these detroit like almost like the original detroit improvisers you know back from like second city before that planet ant theater like these historic kind of theaters and um i remember watching that and it was like it you know, good improv looks like it's scripted. And that's how it looked. And I remember being like, I I thought I was doing well. I can't do that. Like, it was just, I remember not even laughing because I was just in awe, you know? Um, They, and their their form is pretty much like, you know, it's, it's, it's long form, very, they do really quick scenes up top. And I remember seeing like the two or three first scenes, which were maybe like at the most seven or eight seconds long. And I could not believe that they were just improvising this. Like it was just so like I think one of the biggest misconceptions with me was just like, oh, if you just learn all the rules, then you're just a great improviser Um, versus like, no, man, it's like it's about connection. It's about knowing the people really well who you play with and um, knowing their strengths and balancing that out. Like there's just so much nuance to it that I was like, wow, this is this will take a while before like I feel like if I'll ever feel like that, maybe not, but like if I'll feel like that kind of, you know, um, that level of just kind of like being, looking like you're at such, like such an ease with it and, and have it be so fluid as if it's been performed a a million times like that to me was uh, like, I couldn't even believe it. So, 
Um, and they're still like that. I mean, if Keegan can't usually doesn't come back to the Detroit Improv Festival now, um, his schedule is too busy. But, you know, the 313 in some form comes back every year and it's it's always just like out of this world. And it's they've known each other since like 93. You know what I mean? So it's like they're or 96 or something. But yeah, you know, it's just that connection, that bond that just makes that improv so much better. So that kind of stuff was like not not easy but um it, it's it's admirable to see that kind of stuff that's cool well one of the things that um <clears throat> and i hear that from friends i've only been doing this less than a year mm-hmm. right but that's what <clears throat> i have friends that go i could never do that and yeah. i said well yes you can i mean we're if we're having a conversation and we're making each other laugh right or talking about something that's improvising yeah and i remember on Bumble or one of these dating profiles that this woman, it's because I had um, improviser or improv something on that. Yeah. And she was like, I don't know how I would feel about going out with an actor. And hmm. and I wasn't, and, and this is me, like six months of improv, I'm getting all <laughs> <laughs> indignant. Yeah. But I was like, it's very different, right? Because an yeah. actor, at least in my opinion, mm-hmm spotlight center stage and everybody look at me right whereas with improvising my job is to make you look good exactly and this is going to be a compliment for you because we've had one scene together (laughs) in rehearsal and i've still got my improv training wheels on right and when we did our little scene um you you weren't condescending. I knew you had skills that were light years beyond where I am now, <clears throat> but it didn't matter. Like I our our scene, you just you the fundamental rule is you took care of me, mm-hmm. and I never felt intimidated. I felt a little sharper because I wanted to be, I wanted to learn from you and watch and and sort of earn the right to sit there and do this scene, but. Like and this is my compliment to you is like you never made me feel inadequate for lack of experience, and I could see perhaps in a play or something like that if yeah. you were the the leading lady and I was the understudy or something yeah you could lose your shit <clears throat> yeah even though I've only known you a few hours I would, mm-hmm. could never see you doing that in yeah this. and that's that's a compliment to you and sort of the whole basis of improv as a whole I think yeah totally thank you so much and I'm I'm so glad to hear that and and that I think is something that really drew me to this field of I mean I, you know I want to be an actor as well but like and I've talked to some of my friends in the improv field who are actors and a really good friend of mine who is a phenomenal actor, but he has really dedicated himself to just improv. And I remember asking him, like, oh, do you have, like, an agent? Do you do... And he does, but, like, he's like, you know, the thing with me is when you're an actor, you're competing with your peers. And in improv, you're supporting your peers. And that was, like, so impactful for me. And I and I knew I was feeling that way, but I never had articulated it in that sense. Um, but to what you were saying earlier and um, – about supporting you in that scene that to me whenever I watch um, improvisers who are really um, experienced play with less experienced people that's the mark of a great improviser that's your job I mean that's everyone's job on that stage that's why you know before we go on stage we always tell each other we got our back you know got your back got your back because 
that's what you need to do. And, um, and we, you know, back in Detroit, we had um, Sunday night jams where it was like, they would, you know, it was jams where students were encouraged to come out and, and get some stage time with more experienced improvisers. And the, the idea being like, look, you're safe on this stage. Like these people will take care of you. And that's what um, you, you know, that's something you can learn from, but also like feel that support and, um, you know, kind of pay it forward once you get more, more um, experienced or whatever. But yeah, that's, that's such a great, you, and you see, like, I've seen the people try to take the spotlight as an, you know, they'll, they'll come out there, they've had that line, you know, in their, in their <laughs> head, or they're trying to drive the scene towards what they want. And they, you know, regardless of what's going on in the scene, they don't listen. And then they're like, no, I wanted to go here because I know it's funny. And then what happens when you go for the funny? It's never funny, you know, always almost <laughs> falls flat on their face. And it's, and, you know, um, but no, I, I'm, I'm so glad you felt that way. And I, I, I love playing with all levels of people. And I never, and I never look, it's weird. Like I never look at it that way. Like I, I think there's value in playing with so many levels, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and to your point that like I, yeah, I mean, I get intimidated playing with people I know that I've, that are way more experienced or have like some, um, you know, they're like powerhouses. But at the same time, I, I feel safe because I, the reason I admire them is because I I know that they're such great improvisers and they know they'd have to take care of me, you know, in, in, in that sense. So, um, yeah, it's such an interesting community because it's, it's acting and it's like, yeah, you're all trying to go for you're all trying to have a great set by making that audience laugh. But if you're just that support person in that set and you never get that laugh line, but you set up the laugh line, there's something awesome in that too. I love that. You know, I, I, yeah, sure. I love saying the funny line and getting the laugh, but if I set that up and and it gets a laugh um, by someone else, like I just feel, I feel just as much, I guess, you know, pride or whatever. Cause it's just, it's that team, that team mentality and you all come off feeling great, you know? So it's such an interesting thing. It's the, assist in sports totally yes so you can't have the tomahawk jam if the setup pass isn't there you can't right have the one timer in hockey without you know a tic-tac-toe pass yes from dot to dot to dot and then it goes in the net and mm-hmm. it's like that's part of that whole artistry and yeah it's fun to watch yeah yeah and it's funny because like i i mean i love doing improv so much that even when i have like I'm playing with a difficult player and like I had to coach this um, with the co- uh, the group that I coach. Someone had brought that up was just like, gosh, what if you're like just really frustrated with the way someone plays? Like, how do you deal with that? And and I like immediately went to like there's one guy. I mean, I'm not going to mention his name, but like it was one guy in particular and he was in like it was after my maternity. Is it leave. Grant Garrison? It's Grant Garrison, guys. <laughs> um, avoid him at all costs. No. Uh, yeah. No, this guy's in Detroit. I don't think he does improv anymore. I think he finally got the hint. But it was it was just that classic, like, yeah, not listening. He, he would and he admitted, he's like, Yeah, I have an, I have a tendency to like just like tune out when I'm not in a scene. And I'm like, Yeah, that's a problem. Because every t- because you love he loved the walk-on he would walk Mm. on to scenes all the time this was um, a long-form class it was like the advanced program so it's all long-form scenes so he loved to walk on to scenes 
but he had listened to nothing. So he would walk on to call people by the wrong name or wrong gender, um, completely change a setting. Like it was just, it was so difficult to play with this guy. Um, fortunately he, during class shows, cause we'd all worry about him during a class show. We're like, Oh my God, what is he going to do? And, um, cause in, in rehearsals, sometimes you'd have to even just stop the set because we're just like, wow. okay, you totally like <laughs> negated everything, you know? And he'd just be like, okay. Like it was never like a, sorry guys. Or, you know, like there was no awareness. It was just like, it was so frustrating. I mean, we literally one time killed him in a scene because, and, and, and it, and it sort of fit in. I think we were in like a, like, um, some kind of like a hostage situation. So it like fit. It wasn't like we were at the dentist and we just stabbed him. But like we, it, it, it fit and he, he was killed. And then we changed, you know, someone edited it and we were, and then he came back as a ghost as of the guy that was killed. I mean, it was just like, we could not get rid of it. It was like, he couldn't take the hint. But, you know, even through that, and, and this was the advice I gave, um, was when you're playing with these difficult people, you still do your job. And even as 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 difficult and as like maybe um, like mad at that person as you are, like if you just keep taking care of them in that scene or whatever in the set that you're doing with them, like fine, if they've changed the you were, you know, you were whatever on a park bench, but now all of a sudden you're in a classroom like, and it totally doesn't make sense. And all you're thinking about is like, oh, my God, now the audience is, is confused. You know what? You're changing course. You you listen to what they're saying and you go on their journey. And nine times out of ten, it'll become funny. Like, it'll become interesting. And it won't be confusing because I think um, a tendency a lot of times, especially in long form, is if someone gets a detail a little bit wrong and instead of just being like, all right, my name was Judy. Now it's Pam, apparently. Um, instead of being like, hey, my name is Judy. You know, that just like, take you know, because you're thinking, oh, the audience noticed that. So I have to correct it because they want, you know, they need me to correct that. And it's like, nope, just go along with it and be like, you know, I'm glad I'm, yeah, Pam, that is what I like to go. My, my nickname, Pam. Like, you know, just not having to like, don't negate it and say no, you know, and, and kind of call that person out as like, to the audience, like you're not listening, kind of. That's what you're doing. You're like, my name's this instead of that. You know, you just have to kind of let it flow and go through it and and go on their journey with them because you know they're not going to go on your journey or or what's been established. You know, <laughs> For, hopefully you don't play with a lot of people like that. But it's just like, but I would always look at it because again, I, like I love this art form so much that I'm like what can I learn from this? <laughs> Even though it's like, I hope I never have a class with this guy again. Cause I would, I would be every time we'd come back for the next um, term, I'd be like, Oh God, he walks in and you're like, really? You're back. <laughs> like, but like, you know what though? I've learned how to play with this guy. I've had to adapt and it's not fun per se, but I have to make it fun or I have to make it work in a sense where I'm just not getting frustrated all the time because other people were getting like, frustrated to the point where they wouldn't volunteer to like play with him or you know what I mean and it just like ultimately it's supposed to be fun like just find the fun again you know that's that's the point of it um I totally went on a tangent but like just but again like playing with all different levels learning from difficult players or or people who break the rules all the time like that just all makes you just a better improviser as frustrating as it can be um it's uh because I think that guy in particular, his intentions were good. Like, I really think he 
wanted to be great, but it was just frustrating. I, I can remember like from the instructors of our, or, like the teachers of those classes, like they would give them notes all the time. Like, dude, like if you're going to walk on a scene, have intention and make sure you know like what you're walking into. Just, don't just walk on as your consummate frat boy character, which is what he always did. Like it was just, you'd always walk on like a bro, you know, <laughs> no matter where we were, we could have been in a Victorian setting and this guy would walk in as that character because he thought it was funny you know and it was just like it was so funny it was it was so interesting um and it made the rest of us bond a lot <laughs> outside of that guy <laughs> i guess that's not supportive but nothing no. like a common he, frustration to bring everybody together. right i know well my friend jeff uh jeff hardy who i've been friends with for years and i didn't even know he had done improv. This is before I had started, but mm-hmm. I just knew that there was something about the way he and I interacted. We always had a really good time together. Yeah. And we had come up with, there was this meeting for this bicycle thing and we had started kicking around this idea that we would go to this meeting in the inflatable penis costumes <laughs> and we'd be on opposite sides of the the meeting room and we would take um conflicting viewpoints on whatever it was nice and so we would just start arguing with each other about whatever and then it would degenerate into this fight and we were just dying but it was it was yes and like everything yes. before i knew what he knew what he was doing because sure. he's performed but i just knew that every time i talked to him it was so much fun because no matter how dumb my ideas were yeah He's like, well, yeah, and then we could do this, and right. we'll, we'll add this, and this, and it just kept growing and growing and growing. Yeah. And now, um, I know it's one reason why I like him so much is that what that's why because we're fun together. Yeah. For that reason. Yeah, it's a it's so amazing when you just it's like improv soulmates. Like it's so mm-hmm. it's this weird thing that happens, and it, and the cool thing is you never you don't even have to have the same style necessarily. Like you think, Oh, it's kind of like, I don't know. I'm not a big believer in like soulmates, but like, sure. Your husband's glad to hear that. (laughs) We're both on the same page. Trust me. No, we've talked about it. We're both on the same page. We're not saying like, there's no one else out there. Like, I don't know. Maybe there is, but but Hey, we chose each other. We're good for now. You know, if I happen to meet my soulmate, we'll talk, but no, um, But yeah, it's kind of, I guess, you know, whoever it's like this weird, like attraction where it's like one can be a super dry performer and one can be a more like, you know, character driven, bold performer. You know what I mean? And and it, it works and I've seen it work. Um, but I have to go back to your meet. What did everyone say when you guys walked into these penis costumes? Oh, we never did it. Oh, you d- Oh, you were just saying if you did it. Yeah. Oh, got it. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's hilarious. And- I thought you actually did it. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, and second question, where did you get these costumes? Oh, Amazon. Yeah. Nice. We looked it up. They oh. were only like 28 bucks for those. And yeah, they're eight feet wow. tall. And, you know, the testicles are down by your feet. Can you imagine on Halloween if you opened your door in that costume? You'd, there would be cops involved, I'm sure. <laughs> there would be there'd be some kind of registry you'd be a part of after that. But, but yeah, that's the point, though, is he, yeah. he never once thought that was a bad idea. Right. And even just hashing it out, he's like, well, so that makes funny. perfect sense. And he got the fact that the, the, the juxtaposition of 
two dudes in penis costumes at the same meeting that yes. could be violently opposed to each other. <laughs> <laughs> like they saw past right. the uh, the uh, the costumes or didn't even see the costumes. I guess at that point. yeah, and then like. I'm going to kick that guy's ass because his opinion on this issue. <laughs> I know. And like, you can never reference the costume. Like don't ever say anything about the fact that you're in the costume. Like that's right. what makes it even funnier. It's right. just like, Oh man, I, I want to, I really wish you would have gone to that meeting. That would have been amazing. Well, there's still time. Yeah. <laughs> there's more meetings to come. Do it, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. There's nothing like finding your, your comedy soulmate, I guess. Um, because it's like an unwritten, it's like a, uns- a lot of things have to go unsaid and you can just kind of tell, you know, where things right. are going to go or like in an improv set. Um, uh, I call him my improv husband, which is kind of an annoying term. But back in Detroit, my friend Chris Fortin and I had a two person troupe called Small Plates. And um, yeah, it was just like a look in the eye or, you know, it was just kind of like a... Uh, I don't know. It's it's like you almost can't explain it, but it's just like you're on that same page. You're on that journey together. Even if he like would throw me a curveball, like we knew we could like sail that, you know, on and and just make sure we're we're, we're making that uh those those choices to support each other. And it's just there's nothing like it. Imp- uh, comedy love. It's it's a beautiful <laughs> thing. <laughs> and then on the other side of that, mm-hmm. even people not even in the improv group or 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 friends or whatever, people that I meet that if my goofy sense of humor comes out and they're like, so what do you mean by that? Totally. Like, I know. Are, what, are you serious about that? And I was like, no, I just, <clears> did so- I just said something that I thought was so absurd that nobody would take it serious. Right. And there's nothing that pops that balloon faster than having to describe it and go, no, I mean... <laughs> Well, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah. We're not really driving a, a bus full of clowns off the bridge. Right. I just thought, oh, yeah, never mind. I know. There's no room for improvisation and code. Totally. <laughs> well, it's interesting you say that because I've sort of had a theory about that because I've, I've done improv with people who are in not only just engineering fields, but like, like fields that are very, um, you know, logic based and literally, you know, literal based and like, yeah, you have to have uh, things have to be exact and add up and all this stuff. And what I found with some of those people, it's like they are so in their heads when they improvise because they're ticking off every, have we done this yet? Have we done this yet? Mm. Have, um, you know, am I following this rule? Because, you know, the more you learn about the rules of improv, which is in itself, like if you read um, any of Mick Napier's books, uh, he's he's out in the Annoyance Theater in um, Chicago. Okay. He's a yeah, he's a great um, great improviser, and and he's fantastic. Like the books he's written are fantastic, but he even hates saying rules of improv because he's just like, ugh, it just I don't want there to be a checklist in your head. That's where we we run into problems, you know. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. So I think because seeing you improvise, you definitely you're free, and I can see you're free. You're freeing your mind and you're playing. You know, you're not. I don't see at least that you're like going through like a checklist and making sure you're doing everything exactly according to the rules and whatnot. Like, so I, I just find that interesting that you're you're an engineer and you're able to like have that freedom because well, sometimes you. I find that um, harder for some people because of just the way they work, you know? Um, and it's, and it's, um, 
like if we haven't ticked off every box of every rule of improv, then they, they feel like almost panicked up, you know, on the, on the stage or whatever, but no. Well, it's so good for me because at like 32 or 33 years old, I found out I had ADD or ADHD. Okay. And my particular form is that my frontal lobes are always on. I've worn a tinfoil hat with the psychiatrist and seen my brain on the scan. It's like even... So I either pay attention to everything all the time mm-hmm. or I hyper focus and then I'll lose track of time. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, I last week downtown, I forgot where I parked my car. Mm. I remembered the cross streets because I know that's why I do it. But yeah. I was hyper focused on getting to this appointment and I got back to 19th, 19th and Larimer. So I remember those cross streets, mm-hmm. but I literally could not remember if I parked on a one way and so I kind of circled the block a little bit like, mm. Oh, well there it is. Cause yeah. I missed the visual cues to get me back. Sure. Yeah, so yeah. I'm going the opposite way when I'm in a scene Okay. that I'm just telling myself, don't think about anything. Yeah. So I'm trying to get all the hamsters off the wheel in my head. Yeah. And so I'm just looking at you listening, taking a breath and then trying to respond. Yeah. And because for years I had everything <clears throat> in my head going on all at the same time. Yeah. And, um, my dear friend Kendra, who I call my handler, because she remembers all this stuff before I was aware of this. But there were times that I was simply not paying attention to where I was. Yeah. And it's such a good exercise for me that this is the only place I have to be. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I have to worry about is what you are going to say and what you're going to do and yeah. that's it and it's so and I have to come down and I, I journal every morning mm-hmm. I have to work hard to remember the scene because it's gone so fast totally yeah I'm the same as soon as I get off from a set like I got off stage and you know um like with my troop notorious BAG like we'll, we'll like talk about it and I'm like Wait, what did, what did we do? Like, I, I don't know what it is. It's mm-hmm. like gone from my brain as soon as we're done. And then like after a couple like reminders, like, I'll be like oh, yeah, yeah. OK, yeah. And then I'll then I'll remember details. But yeah, it is so weird that like for whatever reason, I just I can't retain a scene for very long. Well, that's super interesting. Yeah. And, and, and exactly what you said. It sounds so simple. But, you know, depending on everyone's, you know, tendencies as far as. I guess everything like I, I've known writers who are improvisers and they can't get out of their head because they're seeing these scenes or they're, they're hearing dialogue and they want to write it in their brain. You know what I mean? Um, regardless of what the other person's saying versus like, yeah, you'll, you'll write what you're, you're going to respond with, but they're not going to necessarily, you're not writing what they're saying back to you. So it's like that, it's very hard. Like I, I remember um, in one of my classes, I had like two or three, like that's what they did for a living. They were writers. And it was just like, and they would say that they're like, oh, God, I, was, I got totally lost focus because I was, I was like writing a story in my head, you know? <laughs> so like, it's so interesting to see how people process that. And for me personally, it's like, I really have to focus, you know, like exactly what you were saying, like, just take it one line at a time. Don't, don't try and get it to a point or don't try and like, for like, fast forward it and say, let's see how we can get here again, like steering the scene, like steering the story, because you don't know what this other person's going to say or, you know, um, 
but that's yeah that's really it's it's such a simple like simple fundamental thing but that it, that's exactly what you're supposed to do <laughs> just listen listening is so key it's so amazing how listening can be so hard and then it's also different once you're on stage you know once you're in rehearsal and i mean you're you're obviously you try to do the best in rehearsal but um there's a different energy when you get on stage that that you know gets you nervous or you know gets you more in your head and um, so it's, it's, it's another, another hurdle to like, make sure you can just maintain that when you're in front of an audience. It's a, such a different animal. Do you get nervous before you go on stage? Every time. Yeah. Yeah. Every time I would get, I would feel weird if I didn't, you know, mm-hmm. um, like as a big show, small show. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's like, I've done it so many times. It's a small stage. It's, you know, not the biggest audience, but yeah, I do. I, you know, maybe not the same level as, as, you know, maybe performing for 200 people or something, but there's always that, that it's like, it's like, um, like twinge of excitement mm-hmm. slash nervousness. Yeah. Every time. Yeah. Every time. Cause it's, it is so unpredictable. You know, it's like, you don't know what's going to happen. We haven't rehearsed anything. We've just warmed up. Let's see. <laughs> Let's see where we can take this. That's, that's, I think, a good rule. I, I led a sales team at a job a couple of years ago, and I said that the more you can get comfortable being uncomfortable yeah. in outside sales, talking to people, <clears throat> the better off you're going to be. Yeah. Because you got to get desensitized mm-hmm. to it. But then after that, it's like, okay, this feels a little bit more natural. Yeah. That's such a great way to put it. Like, comfortable being uncomfortable. That's exactly it. Because, yeah, that nervousness is never going to go away for me it's just gonna be like all right <laughs> this is part of it you know I have to just push through and usually once we get through like honestly once we get the suggestion by the time we get the suggestion I'm usually not that nervous anymore it's just like that anticipation mm-hmm. um part of it that gets me a little bit nervous but what's I the biggest it. crowd you've ever performed in front of Ooh, that's a good question um oh I'm trying to think I guess like sellout crowds at that last theater, um, which would be probably like 150 people. Yeah, I think that's a great size room. Yeah, it a lot is. Of energy is it loud? Yeah, it gets loud. Um, yeah, once that. Yeah, once especially um, during like the the improv festivals and stuff. Um, yeah, those there. There's so much energy in those rooms. It's like people are just usually really great crowds. Um, the theater where I used to perform in Detroit served alcohol, so it was also a different. You know, yeah, <laughs> that's a big help <laughs> for both the theater and uh, it could be a detriment too. So there was an eight o'clock show and a ten o'clock show. And the eight o'clock, it was so interesting. Eight o'clock shows were like the like little more trepidatious audiences. A lot of times it was those were the shows where you'd see like, oh, first time seeing an improv show audience. Um, the ten o'clock shows obviously tended to be a little more um, rambunctious, more drunk, more you know they they were the ones that tended to heckle more and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. But so yeah, um, but yeah, I mean I think. At the mo- like a hundred, if not at that theater, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if Go Comedy. I don't think that they would seat that many people. But um, definitely some of the uh, improv festivals I've done have been probably upwards. I'd say like maybe max like one set one seventy five. But yeah, it's 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 a uh, it's it's very 
it's 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 weird though it's somehow still intimate but it's still like a lot of people who can enjoy you know that kind of that kind of comedy it's not easy to project to that many people but um you feed off that crowd too yeah. so it's it's really fun so here's a would you rather okay <laughs> i just thought of this mm. uh so this is your would you rather know that keegan michael key is in the audience or would you rather have come out on stage and look around and see him sitting there totally oh surprised. my god that is so <laughs> what would blow difficult. your mind more? <laughs> or which would you prefer oh man <laughs> or your idol pick who oh who no favorite. i mean keegan that's like okay. that's that's uh no that that's a perfect suggestion um well, also because I know for a fact he's super nice. So I think, because uh, I've had the great fortune of meeting him, and he is just like the nicest guy. So, yeah. Um, oh, God. I think I would rather know beforehand. None of, neither would be easy. But I think if I saw him on stage, I or from the stage, it would take me out of it. You know, at least if I knew beforehand, I could maybe psych myself up to kind of just like, somehow try and make it through as if I would normally do it. But if, yeah, if it was a surprise and from the stage, <laughs> I think I would. Yeah, I think I, I would, I would rather know he was like going to be there, but like not see him in the audience. But I don't think that was an option, but yeah, I think out of the two, that'd be so hard, but yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I've had good friends like, perform with him because some every now and then he'll come back to Detroit and just like do a show and he'll need improvisers, you know, just to play with and he'll just jump in on like a house team. And I've never gotten that fortune, but oh, people haven't. And, but again, because he's such a fantastic improviser, they're like, Oh my God, he makes you, he makes you shine. Like he makes you like, he'll still go for like the big moments. Um, and he does it so well that you're never like showboating, you know, like, it's like, first of all, you want to see it because he's a master, but like, um, yeah, they're like, you never feel like you're, um, that he's bulldozing you or, you know what I mean? Like overtaking anything. He's just like there to make you shine, which is again, what a fantastic improviser should do. So exactly. Oof. Did you see his movie? Uh, or I guess it wasn't his movie, but he was in it. Um, don't think twice. It's an improv movie. It's by um, no. uh, Mike Burbiglia, Mike Burbiglia, I believe, wrote it. Uh, might have directed it too. I might be wrong there, but it's really good. I would recommend it. Um, it's it's just about a, the dynamic of like a, a, a improv cast um, out of New York, and what happens when you know you've got a couple people on the cast who end up being on like a Saturday Night Live and the dynamics of the group and, but it was, it's good. Like they show like improv sets in it and stuff. Oh, yeah. Out. It's a, yeah, it's called don't, don't think twice. And I think, um, it's a really good eye into like kind of the intricacies of being an improv and part of a cast and with people differing goals. And, and once people do achieve the greatness, what happens to the rest of the group and that whole dynamic. Cause I mean, that's literally happened in Detroit. It's like some of the people I played with at, um, go comedy, in fact, the the owner of the theater and the people who work there and they all were on the cast, either on the cast or, or like at at Second City Detroit while Keegan was there or while Mark and Jackson were there. I'm like, all these people have moved on to like amazing things. Um, 
So it's like they know that story of like, and, and, and I'm not saying like they're bitter or anything like that, but I'm just saying like they've seen people that they've been on stage with like mm-hmm. achieve this greatness and just what a crazy kind of journey that is. And, um, and it, and it is always amazing to me, the people who have moved on to LA and, and done great things, they love coming back and they love going back to those stages. I mean, second city's not there anymore, but the planet ant theater who, which Keegan helped, um, start uh in hamtramck michigan which is also near detroit um it's like a historic historic theater and a lot of times he might come if he's in town he'll go and do like a monday night set which is when they do their improv um shows and he'll just join in the you know it's just like you can see that they love coming back to not only detroit but like like their roots like their improv roots and i've heard of like other people who like Kristen wig was talking about how she goes goes back to the groundlings all the time just to like i guess like reset almost and like you know um feel what they felt when they started almost because it's almost your home, you know, especially if you're doing it so often. So your second home. Really cool. So what's on your, your dream board for Oh gosh. <clears throat> um surrounding performing, writing. I right now it um I I'm writing a one woman show. Um sort of biographical. I I'm 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 still in the stage of writing like the narrative for it. It's not in a script form yet. It's just, so it's, it's just kind of about my story a little bit where it's her, not a little bit. It is my story again. See, this is me trying to like to brag, but, and, and this is, brag away. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's, it's about being, um, feeling like a fish out of water, um, which so many people feel, but this is my story of feeling it where, you know, I grew up in this household of, you know, Indian immigrant parents who, you know, their vision for their children were to was to academically succeed and 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 get, you know, ideally doctor, engineer, lawyer, you know, jobs that are, you know, high paying and and um, really just climbing that ladder of academic and and career success, and my whole time kind of feeling in my in my bones like I I'm not that you know I wanted so bad to be that but I I wasn't that. Um, I had fantastic loving parents, but just in their own dreams, like that's what the, you know, that's what their vision of what my life, you know, should have gone to. Um, so it's just kind of the story of feeling not only like a, I, I grew up in a very white suburb of Detroit, um, called Royal Oak, which now is like much more diverse and young and stuff like that. But back then in the eighties, it was very white, um, pretty racist. Um, and so my brother and I were one of, I want to say like maybe six Indian kids in the entire district. Like it was like, yeah. Um, so there's just stories about feeling different, um, at school. And then, and then we also had our Indian community and on the weekends we would see our Indian friends, but that I would also feel like a fish out of water there as well, because I wasn't the I didn't have the highest GPA. I wasn't, you know, um, getting scholarships to college. So it was like this this dual life that happened where I didn't feel like I belonged in either. Um, because, and yet I would assimilate to feel somewhat accepted in both. You know what I mean? I would sort of, yeah, I would sort of adapt to, you know, it, it, I would say like Monday through Friday was my white life and then Friday and Sunday, um, and then Friday night through Sunday was my Indian life. 
because I would do like Indian dancing and stuff like that on the weekends. And then, you know, but then I would revert back to like, oh, I'm hanging out with my white friends Monday through, you know, Friday at school. And um, it was a very distinct, um, uh, there's a lot of distinction between those two sides for me. And then just how that kind of has led me down a path of, again, fearing a lot of what I wanted to do um, and then just doing what I thought I should do and how that's impacted um, uh, where I am in my life right now and how I'm not going to let it impact, you know, the future kind of thing. So it's just people and the reason I wanted to, to do this story or share the story is because whenever I do just tell people about my background or like stories about my, my childhood growing up, like it, they find it interesting. So I'm kind of like, okay, I think there's a story to tell here. And, and it's, to me, it's, it's different than, you know, there's just plenty of obviously first generation Indian American kids here now have grown up and have their own stories. But for me, it was like, we grew up very differently because my dad, we lived in the same house that my parents considered their starter home and never kind of moved up while all my parents' friends, they caught, they all started in the same place in these little apartments, you know, trying to build their careers. And literally everyone moved up and, you know, in their careers, bigger houses, bigger houses, bigger houses. So like when we would go to these friends' houses on the weekends, we'd be going to like these huge, you know, houses after a certain point, you know, like when we were teenagers, oh, housewarming parties, because someone bought, you know, a bigger house in a more affluent neighborhood. And we would always come back to this little ranch three bedroom house in Royal Oak, which was considered sort of like a blue collar community. Mm-hmm. And that was another w- way we felt, I felt super different because even in the Indian community, besides not feeling like, oh, I'm not like these smart kids. Um, economically, we were on a like way different than these other Indian families. And so there were just a lot of things that um, I felt different about. So it's like, I want to make it a funny, I want to, I want to insert humor into this show. Um, but it's going to be, you know, it's uh, the way I envision it. It's going to be just, just, just kind of a telling of this, of this path that I have taken or that my life has been. And um, just giving a perspective and just saying like, this is, this is what it's, this was what it was like for me, uh, a, a person who felt like, a creative artistic person in a, in a world that that wasn't an option for me, you know? Hmm. Um, and, but it also wasn't a bad childhood, you know, it's a, it's like, right. I came from a, I came from a loving family, but it was just like, I put all this pressure on myself to not disappoint, you know, the people who were providing for me, you know, in a sense. So, yeah, so I'm working on that. It's, it's writing is so hard and it's such a tedious process. I go from loving it to hating it in like one week, you know, (laughs) but, um, yeah, so that's, that's my dream. Like right now, like that's a big goal I want to achieve. Like, especially like next year, I want to get a theater that will put this up and I have a deadline, so I have to get it done, you know, and I have all these, um, I have all these goals. Hopefully I can take it on the road one day and, and just kind of travel with it because I want it to be a one woman show. I want it to be very prop, not not prop heavy, not tech heavy, so I can just pick it up and take it to different cities and just perform it. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I've been I've been working on that. I mean, my dreams, I mean, I still have really lofty dreams. I, I mean, I would love, like I said, I, like I might not be the next Mindy Kaling, but 
shit, I want to be the next Mindy Kaling. I want to have my own show. I want to. And why um, not you? That's going to exactly. be Exactly. Yeah. Why not you? I know. Right. Why not me? Um, that's when I have to mute all those voices that have all the reasons why not me. But um, yeah, I mean, that's 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 always been my. I've just, I've just really wanted to be, I just really want to be like that, that actress, um, that that's in charge of the message, I guess, like a Mindy Kaling or Tina Fey or, you know, Amy Poehler. Like I just, I just look up to them so much. And I think that, um, I have a lot to contribute, you know, now I still get uncomfortable saying that cause I don't want to sound braggy, but I, I do like, I, I have a voice and I, I feel like I have, like you said, like <clears throat> I was given certain talents and I've suppressed them for too long. And so really my dream is just to like, those are like the tangible things. My one woman show, hopefully that can maybe hopefully turn into something bigger. Um, but like as a broad dream, it's just like to cultivate as much of what I can from what I was given. You know, I, I feel like I'm not meant to do spreadsheets. I'm meant to I meant to make people laugh and entertain people and, and hopefully make them think about, um, you know, their own and, and inspire people to, like, make sure that they're taking care of their own um, talents and and taking them as far as they can. So I don't think it's dream. bragging. There's not in anything that you've ever said um, in either inside or outside of this recording. There's nothing that you haven't earned. And you've worked hard for it. So I, in my opinion, bragging is like, I got this. Right? Yeah. <laughs> There's no foundation to it. Yeah. But you've worked very, very hard. So when you say that you've got those skills, you've earned them. You've worked hard and nobody can take that away. But it's not bragging. Thank you. I Yeah. It, it's, you know, th- this is like that, that thing that just my whole life I've, I've just believed for whatever reason. I can't, I shouldn't say, you know, I shouldn't like you know, people can be like, oh, I'm really good at math. And I don't think they're bragging. It's just because it's like, mm-hmm. well, they, they can prove it. Right. And but for me, it's like, oh, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a good actress. Like, and then people will be like, oh, get over yourself. <laughs> just, like, that's what I just feel like. I well, always I think about it. You're a good <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> believe, believe Matt. <laughs> and this is me auditioning for your toady job. You famous, so. <laughs> Absolutely. You're going to need yes men and toadies. <laughs> I love that word toady. <laughs> so we're actually recording a different ending because there's some exciting stuff going on in your improv career. Mm-hmm. And I uh, feel like I have my movie voice on. You know? <laughs> In a world without humor, one woman, Shivani. <laughs> so, yes. so uh, since we recorded initially, there's some exciting stuff that's happened. So, what is going on, and where can people find you? Yes, thank you. Um, you know, Notorious VAG. Just we have a um, Facebook page uh, that you can follow us on, and we are working on some really exciting things with. Um, different theaters in town to establish um, just some some great shows for uh, women um, in improv and they're yeah they're just going to be really fun so we're excited to um, to kind of be producing things on our terms in the future so, wonderful yeah excited. and then your blog where can we find oh your my blog? gosh <laughs> yeah so I did start a blog called Impressionista which is great thank you so much um, yeah, every, every week on Tuesday, I publish something and it can be anything from, uh, you know, 
things from my past that I've worked on. Um, my first blog was about being a reluctant stay at home mom and just my feelings on that. And, and it's very much, you know, my point of view, um, I don't have an agenda necessarily with it to change the world, but it, you know, from I've done, I think seven, um, seven entries now. So it's been an amazing experience with how many, how much people can relate to some of my stories, you know, and, and some of them are very specific, I mean, most of them are specific to my life, but the themes of them, I think, are resonating with people, which is not what I necessarily expected. But it's been it's been so great. I've gotten some really good feedback. Um, I write about, like I said, you know, my my current situation being kind of like a reluctant stay at home mom to um just You're not no, a hostage, are you? No, no. <laughs> okay. I I got permission today to come out. No, <laughs> no. Um, I've written about just things that are trivial, like like having a big nose and dealing with that, and finding out when I did have a big nose from an aunt that was visiting from India, and like just kind of what I've gone through with that, you know. And 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 they're all lighter, and I try to make it kind of light and funny, and and have um just a humorous edge to it so that it's, you know, it's life, you know, we all deal with different things in our lives and we're just, we're just, we're just all people, you know, um, uh, and I'm working on one, uh, I'm excited about the one I'm going to be releasing this week, um, about, uh, just, you know, as you get older, your body changes <laughs> and it's like, no matter what you do, it just seems to be stubborn in certain areas. <laughs> so, um, I'm having fun writing that, but yeah, it's called Impressionista. You can find it at impressionista.me. Um, and yeah, please, um, visit it. If you, if you, uh, follow me or, or friend me on Facebook, uh, I you know, I, I post there every week. I post on my Instagram every week. Um, when I were, when I do publish it, but yeah, it's that, that has been, it's like, wow, it's been awesome to keep writing, um, have, having a reason to write like every week. Um, and it's, it's therapeutic in a way it's, um, and I, I'm finding the more I'm writing, the more I'm getting in, inspired to write. So it's this really cool, um, effect of, of, you know, putting this out there. It's scary. I mean, every week I go through, a roller coaster of emotions of, oh yeah, this is good. Oh, is this interesting? Oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't tell people this. Oh, this sucks. I'm not even going to publish this one. <laughs> like, it's just like, it go, it's like a cycle every week. And my husband edits for me, which is great because he has a good eye for typos and spelling errors <laughs> and <laughs> grammatical stuff. So yeah, it's kind of, it's a little bit of a team effort as well, but thank you. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm excited about that blog and it's, been getting well received thank you so much well awesome shivani Mm -hmm. it's been great to do this uh again yes (laughs) but in the best possible way so um yeah it's it's great let's get your improv group in here yes um just it's been great getting to know you so thank you same thank you so much for having me